This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. This is Steve Guglielmi, Editorial Director for Knowledge at Wharton, and today we're going to talk about the impact of returns on the retail industry. And today we're joined by Tom Robertson, who's a Wharton marketing professor, former Wharton dean, and he's also the academic director of the Baker Retailing Center. Tom has co-authored a paper titled, Many Unhappy Returns, The Changing Nature of Retail Product Returns and Future Research Directions. Tom, thanks for joining us today. Pleasure. So in your paper, you write, the sheer magnitude of product returns should give anyone interested in retail a pause. So, so what are some of the emerging trends with product returns that you are seeing in the retail landscape? Yeah, I think this is an interesting area uh, for retailers. Returns have tended to be ignored. Uh, I think over time, retailers just thought of them as an irritant and didn't think strategically uh, about them. But now with retail, uh, with, with returns amount, amounting to about 10% of total retail sales, I think returns come into the forefront. And there are a number of trends that are underway. The, the major trend is at the consumer level. Consumers are coming to expect ease of returns coming to expect they can return things and that it'll be easy. Um, they're coming to expect that returns will be free, that when something is delivered to them, there will be a return label or return envelope for being able to send things back. And so at the consumer level, there's this major upward trend uh, in terms of consumers returning and expecting to return. Hmm. Um, for the retailer, um, this begins to raise some issues. Um, how should you respond and how much should you respond? Um, and what we're seeing also is a, a number of intermediaries entering the space. Um, we see um, um, companies which will take over the return function for the retailer. Uh, we see some department stores such as Kohl's, which will do returns for Amazon, or even Nordstrom in New York was experimenting with accepting returns for Macy's, which is kind of interesting. So new intermediaries coming in, new drop-off points for consumers. Uh, these are some of the responses that retailers uh, are making. And maybe the most important, or potentially the most important, is analytics. That um, consumer uh, retailers uh, may be able to develop better analytics uh, so that they have risk scores as to which consumers are likely to return and which consumers are likely to return too frequently. Supposedly, Amazon has canceled accounts for excessive returners. So how much further does this go uh, in terms of denying uh, returns to consumers? It is, for the retailer, it is an opportunity. I think, I think it's an opportunity, but it's also a curse, as we said at the beginning. And I, retailers historically just thought it was an irritant and you just ignored it. 
Um, yeah, one one thing about the curse. I mean, you meant in your paper, you note that I think ten percent in twenty eighteen of retail right. sales were were returned. So it's like something like three hundred and sixty nine billion dollars worth, which is kind of astounding. It is. Yeah, it's a but large how, number. How, how is this? A, well, well, then, uh, just uh, just to keep going with your thought, how how is this then, not just a curse, but also a, a developing opportunity for retailers? Right. Yeah, the curse is easy to understand, isn't it? Um, the opportunity is that there is evidence that handling returns well builds loyalty at the consumer level. There's also the idea that. You might, if you can get consumers to the store to return, that you can sell them additional merchandise. And there's the point that you may be able, you would, in fact, you very much want to be able to change it from a return to an exchange. And so retailers are moving in, in some of these directions. Um, the downside is it's really costly uh, to handle returns, and it's not just the shipping. Um, the real cost is, can you put it back into inventory, or does it have to go to off-price channels? Uh, and again, specialized firms have moved into this space that will take returns off the retailer's hands. You, you sometimes also see the phenomenon, in fact, I've seen it uh, myself, that something gets delivered, and it's not what you expected, and the retailer says, oh, just keep it, uh, or more, well, I guess in our case, they said, we'll give you half off if you keep it. No, we don't want it at all. <laughs> Come and take it back. And obviously, they really did not want to take it back because they didn't know what they were going to do with it when they did take it back. And by the time you, this was a piece of furniture, by the time you take it out of the crate, um, can you get it back in one piece? So it's difficult for retailers on the return journey. Well, how are how are returns actually transforming the customer journey? Yeah, the customer journey is really changing. Um, we've had the notion of a purchase journey or customer journey with us forever. Um, going back, gosh, 100 years, there was uh, attention, interest, desire, action. Um, and anyone who studied marketing probably saw AIDA uh, historically. And then over the years, it developed into more elaborate models uh, that would vary by product category as to how purchase decisions were made. And the purchase decision is really different by product category. Um, it might be routinized and be a fairly simple model, um, maybe buying a new coffee pot or something like that. Um, but I was talking with one of our um, Baker Retail Center um, companies, and they're in a stroller business. And I was surprised how complicated that gets, that the purchase journey, first of all, is very high on information search. These young parents study it a lot. What's the right kind of stroller to get for my darling baby? And then secondly, it's very often a gift, but the brand is determined by the young parents and not by the grandparents or the aunts and uncles or whoever else uh, might be uh, making the actual purchase. Um, so the, the purchase journey is changing, um, but in this new world of returns, we're finding that the purchase decision that you think is made in store may actually be made at home. 
And at that point, the consumer studies the merchandise and either keeps it or returns it or exchanges it. And so retailers are now recognizing that there's an additional stage very often, at least 10% of the time in the purchase journey. And in some product categories, it's more than 10% of the time. Well, um, let's, you, you talk about also the, the dark side of returns. And, and I guess the question there is what kinds of returns are acceptable and which ones are not? And, and how do retailers actually find the line on that? Right. Um, how do they decide? Yeah, those are really difficult decisions. And um, very often it's left to the sales clerk in the store. And you, so you get inconsistency in it all, uh, which is a big problem. Um, what's a dark side or what's in a, uh, unacceptable depends on who you ask. So we did just a little study when we were at a conference, we were able to interview um, our students, undergrads and MBAs combined, and we were able to interview retailers who were at this conference. So it's not um, a scientific study, it's really rather impressionistic. But uh, what we found was that the two uh, come apart, particularly in, in, in the middle. You can agree that there are some returns that are uh, probably okay, it was the wrong size. And there's some returns that are illegal, um, such as you can buy a, a sales receipt and then you go into the store and find that item and try to return it. You never bought it, you never owned it. You paid some amount of money for this fake receipt. Well, that's illegal. And those are the two extremes. What gets interesting is in the middle and wardrobing is a really good example. This is the idea that you would, um, a man would buy a suit, it's, a woman would buy a dress and you tuck the labels in as you go to a fancy event and then you return it and say you never wore it. And students um, were likely to think that this was okay, but certainly not retailers. Um, consumers, uh, students were likely to think that buying a textbook, copying the little bit out of it that you needed and then returning it was okay, but certainly not the textbook publishers. So there's really a continuum of the dark side going from what's probably absolutely okay to what's absolutely illegal and all kinds of, of interesting questions in the middle and uh, as to what you do about it. In the wardrobing example, are you going to give your sales clerk uh, in the store the ability to check for um, any potential wearing of the item, you know, deodorant marks or uh, smelling of cologne or whatever? And uh, so retailers are struggling uh, with that middle ground. And uh, We'll agree on the easy part, we'll agree on the illegal part, but the middle ground is causing a lot of problems. Right. And then there's companies that have actually built returns into their business models, like Zappos, you can order three or four different sizes of shoes and they expect you to return them. So I'm wondering how, how does that kind of model and also just the general ease of returns, how is that impacting supply chains? Right. Yeah, again, this is part of the developing consumer behavior, Steve. Um, 
we may be training consumers to return, uh, and really it's companies such as Zappos or uh, Stitch Fix or Warby Parker, where the expectation is that you're going to order, well, let's say War Warby Parker in particular, I think they let you order, I don't know the number, four or five pairs four of glasses. Four or five, right. And uh, you keep one and return the rest. And Zappos, I don't know how many pairs of shoes you can order and return, or Stitch Fix, which is a little bit of a different model. They're um, curating for you and sending you things with the expectation that you'll keep some of it and send most of the rest of it back. So in a sense, this is part of returns, and um, we're sort of training consumers that, yeah, maybe the decision is made at home and not in the store. And if you do it, if as a consumer uh, you come to expect this, then retailers have to respond, and uh, more and more they may have to uh, move in, in this kind of direction. Does does it does it affect inventory when stores have to have sort of an enormous number of sizes to send out or styles to send out, and then most of that mm -hmm. comes back? And how does that impact again supply chain or inventory? Or it must impact these 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 companies on some level in that way. You know, supply chains work very well going forwards. Of course, even that's not totally true in women's fashion industry. Um, the, the brands, uh, almost all of them, get it wrong about half the time as to what's going to sell. And part of that is the supply chain is too long, that, you know, nine months to get things from Asia. So you forecast sales up front, and by the time that season rolls around and the merchandise has arrived, Consumer tastes may have changed, colors may have changed, whatever. But in terms of your question um, on supply chains, it's good going forward. It doesn't work very well in reverse. Um, going forward, it's sort of routinized. Um, we know what we're doing, and we've got all of the intermediaries lined up uh, to do it. But going backwards, as you return uh, things, as, as a consumer returns things to the store, um, it's idiosyncratic uh, as to what's being returned. It's irregular, and irregular processes are expensive. And so it's expensive for the store to take things back, again, not just in terms of the, uh, the freight, but in terms of can you put it in the inventory, or do you have to go to off-price retailing or sell it uh, to an intermediary? Um, so forward is great. Backward, hey, we've got some work to do figuring that out. And again, there are new companies appearing in this middle ground to handle um, backward vertical supply chains. And what way are our return policies affecting brands' reputations? How how are they affecting brands? Right. Well, first of all, your return policy helps define you as a retailer. Uh, if it is fair and equitable and consistent, um, that may very much be to your benefit. If consumers perceive it to be unfair or inconsistent, um, they, that may be damaging uh, to your reputation. Another major damage or potential damage is in the area of sustainability. 
uh, retailers, particularly in a fashion area and particularly in the clothing area, have tended to dump uh, unused merchandise to some extent. I mean, some of it goes to off-price channels and so forth, and some of it gets dumped into landfills. And there's statistics around, I don't have them with me, as to how many tons of, of clothing wind up in landfills per month or whatever. But that is a concern for many of us uh, who are concerned about sustainability. Um, it's also a reputational concern for luxury brands. If they take things back, what do they do with them? They can't let the merchandise go out and reach broader market segments because if someone is paying a lot of money, I'll take an extreme Chanel or Dior, if you're paying a lot of money for one of these brands, you don't want to see someone else on the street with that who has been able to buy it off price someplace else. So for luxury brands, uh, what do you do? And um, For a while, um, there was burning going on, but I think there's been such a reaction to that that uh, I'm not sure what exactly they're all doing these days. I know that. Uh, Do you mean actual actual burning of merchandise? Yeah, sure. Actual burning. You know, the idea is it's better to burn it than to let someone wear it who's not in your market segment. If you're trying to be one of these elite brands, and obviously Chanel and Dior are at an extreme, but even if you come down um, a, a level or two, do you really uh, want uh, mass market? Uh, consumers to wear your product uh, and because then the people who are paying full price are going to very much resent them. Um, so this this is a concern. What would you say uh, what would you say are the most critical areas for research so that brands can better understand how to set policies and manage returns? Yeah. What, what should we be looking at? Yeah, this has been a neglected area as we started out, or as I started out and said that retailers tended to ignore and just treat returns as an irritant. So finally, they're starting to pay attention to this. And um, in our uh, interviews with retailers um, and in thinking about this and studying literature and so forth, we came up with, I don't know, it must be about 20 areas, 25 areas for uh, research. Um, in order to make the return process more beneficial to retailers and in the best interests of consumers. So there are just a lot of questions. One of your questions was, you know, what is the dark side? Uh, and it varies by segment of the market. Um, what segments think uh, about it? What way? Um, but this has really become uh, an industry uh, issue. And, and to some extent, it's a trade association issue. Um, that National Retail Federation and others should be uh, looking at the, and maybe they are looking at the, especially the illegal uh, types of returns. Uh, the reverse logistics uh, is ripe for research, further research. There's been a little bit, not very much. Um, the uh, understanding what consumers' views are of returns. Again, who returns, who returns a lot. What do they expect in terms of returns? Um, and then for the retailer, therefore, what are best practices for uh, returns uh, so that you maintain 
um, a positive image with consumers and a, a profitable uh, position uh, for the retail brand. So there are a lot, a lot of questions when it comes to uh, returns. Uh, one of them is also trying to avoid returns in the first place. Um, I think for a lot of retailers, they've cut back on personnel in stores and you get the situation, therefore, where people um, buy incorrect sizes and uh, return them. And, and that can be avoided, I think, uh, with the right kind of sales help, um, sophisticated sales uh, help in the store, uh, maybe augmented uh, by technology, especially in terms of issues such as sizing. Great. Well, Tom, thanks so much for, for talking with us today about your research. My pleasure. And if uh, if you like what you heard, you can read more about Tom's research on Knowledge at Wharton, which is knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. And you can also find us on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.